This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGDE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me today by phone, we have the Toledo Symphony's music director, Elaine Trudell, and right here in the studio, we have a very special guest, composer Christopher Dietz. Now, both of you gentlemen are composers, and I have a little fanfare for you. Now, okay, now you'll remember, Chris, the last time you were here, which was just a few weeks ago, that I created, like, some kind of weird composing fanfare. So which of the two do you think is is easier on the years? Um, That last one is particularly uh, rambunctious, perhaps, for my (laughs) taste. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, It depends on what mood you want to conjure. Yeah. Well, I've got some other music for you later on. Okay. But uh, the reason that both of you gentlemen are here, we're having sort of a composer's corner kind of discussion today. We talked about this concert that's coming up on Friday. It's June 3rd, 8 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris Style called America in the Key of Gershwin. And it contains three different works by living composers, two of them right here with us, Elaine Trudell and Christopher Dietz. Also, Wang Ji, who we profiled last time around. We also talked a lot about George Gershwin. So now, guess what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about these new pieces that you are bringing to the Paris style. Uh, which one of you wants to go first and tell us about your piece? Mm, I defer to the, the maestro. Oh, no. <laughs> are you still there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm still there. I was actually having a thought about the fanfare piece that you played. And I thought this would be something good in the podcast when somebody's talking for too long, you know, the play out, kind of a <laughs> big deal word, go sit down, you know. <laughs> sort of a musical version of the shepherd's crook. Yeah, Or the Academy <laughs> Awards, you know, every time they talk too long. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And they play you off. Well, you have a, a piano concerto, right? Yeah, but I, I mean, I feel bad going first because I'm not the real composer here. I'm the... I'm the conductor doubling as the composer for this concert, but uh, I'll go ahead. I'm, he always says yeah, that. Yeah, but, but you know, I mean, out of the three of us, I'm probably the least composery of, of anybody here. I've written a little bit of music, <laughs> but uh, I definitely put myself, you know, way, 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 way down at the foot of the mountain where you guys are oh. on the top. But anyway, let, let's hear about this concerto. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, so, well, first of all, I, I thought that the, the way I build a program I really wanted to have a, a tribute to uh, a, a mix of, yes, of course, the, the music that's played now in America. And, and, and the Gershwin is much overlooked, although it's a most famous piece, you know, it's a Porgy and Beth, but this symphonic version is uh, overlooked. And we talked a lot about it in the, in the past episode. But uh, to, to, to go around this program, I thought we have to play, first of all, all music from living composers. And second, I think there's something that happened, you know, that before COVID, during COVID, we had to be really uh, the resilience behind it because the piece we commissioned to Chris, I mean, it was supposed to be played uh, at least two years ago. And, you know, we kept going and putting it up and there was going to be in, it's going to be in, it's going to be in. That's the first thing I want to put back in as, as new music in our program. And there's resilience in there. And he kept going and kept, didn't lose faith. And for me, my piece, um, 
I wrote it during COVID when I couldn't be around my, my dear colleagues of the orchestra and our wonderful public. And I, 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 I was trying to find a way to share music or to, to, to feel close to you. And uh, the first part, you know, the, the first, uh, how could I say, the first quarantine of COVID for everybody, I, when I came back home from the orchestra after we recorded that Brown's fourth program, I came back home and I, I played a lot of trombone for some reason. I don't know. I just felt like playing, playing, playing. It's a good thing you play the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> I'm not the definition of a gentleman, right? The person who can play the trombone but doesn't. I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that, that's for another show. But uh, the, what I thought is that, you know, I don't know. I, I just went like, this was a way for me to reconnect and to post something every Friday and people were writing to me, oh, thank you, it starts our weekend nights. I was playing quartet, quintet, octet, and just doing that. And then we were able to go out again in the summer. And then we started to be uh, reconfined. And one thing that went to my mind, and that always happened to my mind, because I'm so busy conducting and playing, that what I really wanted to do when I was a teenager, when I really started in music, because I started when I was 12, and the first thing that struck me was creation, the, the piece that people were writing, the improvisation that were, people were doing in jazz. And the, the thing I really wanted to be was a composer. And when I was in high school, I was writing music all the time. I always brought it to my teachers, and they were very nice. They, they had, one of them, Monsieur Macley, he had this saying, he always told me, well, oh, yeah, you're getting the hang of it. Yeah, you're getting it. He, never, he was avoiding... Is this good? Is this bad? Is this really bad? But it was always, hey, LA, you're getting the hang of it. Keep going, keep going. And so I never had a positive or negative comment on whatever I was writing until I was on a stage, right? But, uh, and that's another story. We all live the same. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But, uh, so I kept writing. And then in my 20s, I was touring a lot as a trombone player. And when I was on tour, I was still writing music. Then I started conducting. I mean, I was always conducting from the age of 15, but I started to be a music director or to be in the run and the run and the running to be a music director. Like I was runner up in Windsor, I was runner up in um, in uh, Victoria. Then I was a music director of the CBC Radio Orchestra, and I, and, you know, I but been to a bunch of plays in Toronto. I uh, was, you know, worked a lot there in Ottawa, and then I started, you know, conducting like Beethoven, Mahler, and. I just, I completely choked for the, about composing for at least, I'd say, a good at least 15 years. I didn't write anything. I was like, come, well, no, I wrote, I wrote some. It's not true. I wrote young people shows, a few original young people shows for Platypus Theater. But uh, you know, to commit yourself to writing something, first time I did, you know, like a real first time of a Beethoven symphony, the fifth, the third, first time you do Eroica. I mean, as a composer, you're going to go, oh, boy, Beethoven, as usually I like to say, is that, you know, you gave him like uh, two matches and uh, a piece of duct tape, and you come back, you know, half an hour later, and there's a cathedral, and you go, oh, my God, how did he do that, you know? MacGyver. (laughs) 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 All right, Elaine Trudell, everybody. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> I'm kidding. It, I mean, it's fascinating, uh, your interest in composing and how it waxed and wanes and all these stories you're telling. But when I look at yeah. this uh, piano concerto, I'm thinking, now I know Elaine as a trombonist. I mean, what's your mm-hmm. experience writing for the piano? So uh, during the time that I was kind of choking, <laughs> 
So I was not, uh, as you call him, Ludwig van uh, MacGyver. Uh, first time I, I, I you know, played this music and Mahler, forget it. After Mahler, I, couldn't, I was like mute of myself. I was like, I'm going to devote myself to be uh, interpreter of all these uh, geniuses. But, you know, I still have my voice. I have something that I, I need to say. And I discovered during COVID that there was still something buried in there. And it was buried by myself. It was not buried. Nobody told me that I, I sucked, you know. <laughs> You're getting the hang of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but even, you know, you have good reviews, bad reviews of pieces you write. But still, every musician that played it, you know, it felt like, oh, I like the piece. It wasn't like, you know, oh, but it was like, you know, wow, this good piece. So my first orchestra pieces, people liked them. They were played a lot uh, across Canada, and some of them played in the States. So I, I thought, like, you know, I, I, st- I stopped repressing, you know, uh, the, that. And during COVID, I thought, well, hey, listen, if I'm going to be, a, if I'm going to write something, I, like a writer, like, uh, you know, like a, not just composer, but a writer who writes a novel, what do they do? They write every day. And that's the thing, I think, for me, that I didn't have confidence because I wasn't committed to writing every day. So every morning, every evening, I would write for a few hours. Uh, for like three, four months. And I was actually, there was a, an award for the person who started the most pieces without going anywhere with them <laughs> during those 15 years. I, I'd probably be in the running for that, right? So I had all these pieces that I had started. And there's this one piece that I had started for piano, string orchestra, horn obligato, so horn soloist also, and the, the percussion section. And I, I just thought like you know this could go somewhere this is a part of material a little bit of material that i really liked that i never really did anything with it but it was like a beginning of a bunch of different movements and they all had an idea together and i said you know if i, I that's the five percent inspiration and i said maybe if i commit to doing the 95 percent perspiration during that time i can maybe make something out of it so while i was stuck at home and I thought, like, well, this is something I could write for my, my colleagues in Toledo, our wonderful new principal horn, Megan, and our percussion, like dynamite, cracker deck, like, you know, a percussion section. And, uh, I mean, it was already for, it, it already didn't have any brass and other ones. I mean, they're fantastic in orchestra, but I stayed with the idea that I initially had. And it's actually a nice COVID idea, right, because it's a, a smaller orchestra. But uh, I, so I started everyday writing. So, I filled, uh, you know, my, my music book, but I also filled my, my waste basket at the same time, you know. You write, I don't know if it's like that for you, Chris, but I write, half of it goes to uh, in the garbage. You're like oh, yeah. Johannes Brahms, you burn everything, you know. Well, yeah, you usually yeah. have to, uh, uh, I call it unwrapping the piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you sort of throw away the wrapping yeah. paper after you've finally figured out what's underneath there. Yeah. Exactly. As long as you're not writing on wrapping paper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> okay. So, so I, so the the piece came, came to me, and uh, by a lot of work, but also I was, you know, I felt inspired. And I, I think a lot, you were talking about Brahms. Brahms used to say that the reason why you own your skills is just to be prepared at the moment that inspiration comes, because. You work, you work, you work, you work, and at a certain point, you get into a zone. That's what he meant, really, right? Mm-hmm. But you get into a zone. But if you're not ready when you're in a zone, if you don't have enough quote-unquote chops, you know, like, if you, if you can't write, if you don't understand, like, for me, I write a lot with uh, uh, limited transpo- uh, trans- transposition mode, mm-hmm. and I like also uh, compressed chords, you know, a bit like more like Zanakis. I don't want to 
scare anybody off. It's still melodic. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I thought that, you know, if I really, really work on this. So I kept writing, uh, uh, like solo piano pieces came from that. Uh, another brass piece came of that. But I was still, you know, going towards that piano piece. And I don't know if does that for you, Chris, but, you know, you wind up with a bunch of extra little pieces around it. Mm-hmm. They're like, not, not studies of it, but, you know, it's like, if you look at a Picasso painting, I'm not comparing, but uh, there, there's a lot of other paintings that come from it, you know, details from it. So that happened. So I sent, when I finished, I sent the, the, the more or less finished uh, movement two, three, and four. It's four movements. It's, it's quite short. It's kind of a, it's, it's, um, the form of it, I didn't call it a concerto. There's a name to the piece called Alter. Uh, and it has four movements that are together, and it's about 22 minutes. But I sent the music to three of my favorite pianists, and I thought, like, I didn't tell them there was a concert connected to it. And I said, the first one writes back to me, I'll tell her or him that this concert. And Charles Richard Amelin, who was the last one I thought would write back to me, because his, his wheelhouse is Chopin, right? He, he was the... He, he was finalist in the international Chopin competition, Mozart, Beethoven, and he wrote and he said, I love it, can I play it? Has it been played yet? So I went like, whoa, this was very encouraging. So I finished the first movement. <laughs> You're getting the hang of it, <laughs> definitely. Nice. I was getting the hang of it, so there you go. The, the other two pianists <laughs> called you up and they were like, well, you're getting the hang of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice when uh, you have a performer like that uh, with that quality saying yes and sort of encouraging you along yeah. with the other movements I too. <laughs> well, I want to hear more about this piano concerto, but let's let's turn to Christopher now because uh, you also have a piece on here, Chris, and it's called Origin Story. You know, I, I didn't bring up Elaine's walk-on music. I saved that for a little bit later, but I found you some walk-on music, right? Hit it. You ready for this? <laughs> See, I, I've never seen anybody bob their head along while looking like they absolutely hate the music at well, the same time. Humoring it. Yeah, humoring it. You're humoring me is ah. what you're doing. Let me take that off. You know, it uh, sounds like that music that you see in the background of YouTube videos when they're <laughs> talking about a new product or something yeah. that's sort of... Well, they, I'm sure that they get their music from a similar source. It it's all highly you know, functional. <laughs> yes, functional music. So, what can you tell us about origin story? I mean, the title, first of all, of these two pieces, they they both have really interesting titles. Elaine, you mentioned your piece for piano and orchestra is called Alter, but it's also got like yeah. E in parentheses. I don't know if that's yeah. like to aid in the French pronunciation or what the deal is. And you can tell us about that in a minute, but also origin story is it could be anything, you know. So, so what is this this piece about? Right. Um, well, the when the initial discussions were happening about what this piece would be about or like uh, in, in character um, five plus years ago, um, it was supposed to be about something about Toledo, frankly, about something local, something. Um, historical perhaps and I guess I went I went deep uh, with that and went back to um, not just the origin or the history or the mm, character of this place but um, the character of hope well maybe all of all of us um, and and the bigger origin story Um, and so this piece is tells the human origin story from three different perspectives of the many perspectives that are out there 
And I, I think I want to I want to relate that to Toledo because it's it's easy for people in small to mid-sized cities to sort of forget your significance to forget. It's easy to forget that um, you're part of uh, just as much part of the the mix of humanity as everybody else. And um, all these fantastic myths and these legends and these stories, I mean, they they pertain to you, Toledoans. Mm. They they pertain to you and your children and that and your crazy uncle and <laughs> so on and so forth. They really are. It's it's I think it's it's important to to draw on that and to reconnect with that. Uh, even if you are in geographically modest circumstances by some people's uh, definition. Yeah. So so um, I think telling a, a big story about a smallish place is okay. And the way that the piece is laid, I'll just give you a brief uh, description. It's in three movements, and they are, they're not connected. And the th- there are really three different perspectives on um, the origin of human beings. The first movement is called Mud Men, and uh, <laughs> not Made Men, Mud Men, not Mud, not Mad Men or, or Mad Men. That's what I was thinking. Or of. Mud Hen. <laughs> Very good. Yay! Sorry. But, good job, Cliff. <laughs> yeah, Mud. Uh, thank you very much. Um, mud Men, and that is that. There are many uh, origin stories about people being sculpted out of clay. Mm. or dust or literally coming from the earth itself and with some divine intervention um, being uh, turned into human beings. Um, And I wanted to not really depict that in the music, but I liked that idea of a kind of inanimate inanimate sort of uh, slushy substance becoming... You know, sophisticated human beings, like and kinetic sand or something. Yeah, yeah like that. exactly. You have kids, so yes, of course. I mean, they're <laughs> sort of Play-Doh uh, people, um, and there, I felt like um, the music, almost in a roughly cinematic way, could could depict that um, that, yeah. that that process. In, in I don't I don't know how long the movement is, maybe eight eight minutes or something like that. So um, uh, the second movement is called the Veil, and this. Uh, is a different perspective on human origins. This is um, about a nebula in outer space called the Veil Nebula. And that is a huge cloud of gas and dust uh, that is being illuminated in outer space. And it's from the explosion of a huge star. It's called a supernova. And when these huge stars explode to create nebulas like the Veil Nebula, they disperse the heavy elements of the periodic table into the universe. So uh, elements like sodium and calcium and all the way up to gold and um, things like that. Um, and of course, those tend to be the um, the elements in your body that do things like build your bones and mm-hmm. allow your nerves to function, allow you to feel, have feelings about music. You wouldn't, if you didn't have the sodium created in the explosions of giant stars, you wouldn't feel anything about this music. So I, I felt uh, connecting with that. Again, it's such a huge cosmic concept it's hard to wrap our heads around it, but Toledoans, we should, uh, I believe. So well, I, I just want to put in a side note here that uh, you are a fabulous uh, space photographer. I always see these pictures that you've made of, of various uh, bodies in space, and anybody who follows you on social media can see those as well. So I assume that's an interest of yours. Yeah, I think uh, if you spend some time in astronomy, you you start to... Well, you start asking big questions. You can't help it because um, 
the things that you see are, are so astonishing. Let's hear about the third movement, which has a great title. It's like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. The third <laughs> movement, uh, which is very lively, is called Chaos Monsters. And along with, uh, similar to the explosion of the super, of giant stars, there are some creation stories that uh, you could say begin with a bang, or at least involve some kind of conflict of some mm-hmm. sort. And the, the categorization that um, people who study myths have put these under, uh, these types of creatures that sort of cause all this mayhem, they're called chaos monsters. Mm. Uh, they're something that, they are a creature that represents you know, chaos and disorder. And they usually need to be subdued in order for the world to to be made sort of ready for humans to appear on it. Um, and there's a lot of stories like this, and they're they're all, they're cited in the in the program notes for the piece, which I hope you all come to hear. You can read them there. Um, and the piece is a, it's a again a kind of almost cinematic um, depiction or maybe portrayal of of the, one of these sort of fights. Um, and it's it it this came during a time in my life when my son was watching a lot of Marvel movies, <laughs> a lot of you know epic fighting for all of humanity. You know, Merwin Sue was in the Avengers. That's right, right. and Merwin Sue is was in the original. Yeah. Yes, the 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 or the origin story, so to speak. Of, we'll, we'll never let him forget. Of course not. <laughs> uh, and so, I feel like um, some of that rubbed off on me. I mean, those. Marvel characters, of course, are drawing from mythology. They're drawing from a lot of the same things that I'm drawing from. Yeah, um, some but, more directly than others. You yeah. think of Thor, for instance. You know, that's a direct yeah. reference. Sure, they tend to be sort of archetypes of a certain, you know, human quality or characteristic. Yeah. Um, and there, there are ways for people to connect with that type of thing. And so, in this case, with the third movement, Chaos Monsters, not only does it provide a lively finale for the the, the suite here, the group of three pieces, but it um, it also shows a different perspective. I think. Yeah. It's, well, the whole piece together is like what twenty five minutes long, something like that. Twenty five yeah. or twenty six minutes long. You seem, Chris, to have like a predilection for explosions <laughs> and things. You know, like like a lot of chaos in your music, but it's so it's so done with an ear towards making sense of things, right? And, you know, you think about the last piece that Toledo Symphony played of yours. It was about a volcano kind of thing, and, and you know, and there's eruptions in the music and what have you. And now you're, like, taking us through human history, you know, to infinity and beyond. And, <laughs> and you're doing that with music. I mean, are you attracted to these big kind of ethereal concepts of of energy I, I am and I also think a symphony orchestra especially a large one like it is we're using for this piece it has a kind of power to it it has an ability to move us and connect with us that, that way um, that maybe uh, you know I would probably wouldn't write on these topics if I were writing a piano trio or something like yeah. that uh, <laughs> I wouldn't write about the cataclysmic beginning of of the world you know for toy piano and, and harp Although, don't give Elaine any ideas. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I, I feel like the, the, the genre of orchestral music sort of lends itself to this. Um, I mean, we, Elaine mentioned uh, Mahler, you know, mm-hmm. Mahler symphonies. I've been um, resisting the Mahler bell, but I'm well, going to bring it out just 
Every time we say Mahler, and it's usually when Zach is here, we have to ring that bell. It's, you know, it's a symphony lab thing. Sure, and you can't, you, when you're writing for large orchestra, especially a dramatic piece like this, you you can't avoid uh, addressing his music and, and dealing with it in some way. Um, it's like, you know, he kept having apocalypse after apocalypse mm-hmm. in, his, in his pieces. He managed to find more apocalypse all the time. <laughs> Um, and more ecstasy and uh, a little bit more of everything. So you and Mahler. <laughs> well, I I like that about his music. I don't get bored by his music. I don't get, um, yeah. I'm not disappointed in it. It's, it's, it's so satisfying in person, in the hall. Um, it, it excites your uh, imagination so much. And so that's something I, I want to connect with. Yeah, it's, I guess it's a little bit um, pyrotechnic. Yeah. But. Um, well, it's, it sounds exciting for the audience. I hope so. Yeah. Elaine, are you still there? Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm sure you have things to say about uh, Chris and his music as well as your own, but I want to take a break here and do the first part of my quiz. Yes, there is a quiz, and this quiz is called Origin Story, okay? <laughs> so what it is is I'm going to give you four questions. We'll go uh, all the way to the end before we go back and say the answers, and it's A, B, or C, multiple choice, and the quiz part is about the origins of a well-known product, okay? Let me pull up a little music here. I don't know why, but this seemed to fit. <laughs> now, do you guys recognize that? I don't know if you would, Elaine, because you grew up in Canada, but that was the... Uh, it's a song called Puffin Billy. It was famous as the uh, theme song for Captain Kangaroo. Oh, yeah. Ah. Yeah. I don't I know why. It was a theme song for Macy's or something. I was going to say, it sounds like I'm in a department <laughs> store. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. We were saying things that the origin of things that are that I every day, so I thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, department store and YouTube, and I've got music for everything. Okay. <laughs> First question. This was invented to clean wallpaper. Was it A, beeswax? Was it B, play-doh? Or was it C, silly putty? A, B, or C. Second question. This was invented as a solution to the prodigious horse manure on the streets of London back in medieval times. Was it high heels? Was it the automobile? Or was it stilts? A, B, or C? Probably not B, because I don't think the automobile rolled around until much later. Didn't think that went through. Okay, number three. These items were originally called GEMS, uh, G-E-M-S, GEMS, when they were patented in 1904. Is it A, carpet nails, B, paper clips, or C, thin mints? A, B, or C? And the final question in this little quizlet... This item was patented independently by two men on the exact same day and year. It was in March of 1845. Was it staples? Was it band-aids? Or was it rubber bands? A, B, or C. So four different questions. You guys feel pretty confident in your answers? No. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's try. Let's go back to the beginning. The first one invented a clean wallpaper was B, Play-Doh. Oh, right? oh that's, I was going to go with Silly Putty. But okay. You got that one, Elaine? Yep. Okay. 
Now, you're not doing the phone thing where you're just going to say you got everything, right? We can't see. No, no. Okay. No. no okay. I, I Listen, I lose enough on the phone that you know that I'm not cheating. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, I, I know this one because I have so many kids. and I uh, Sometimes, you know, you have the Play-Doh on the wall and you take it out and say, oh, well, it takes stuff with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, your wall's covered in Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Question number two was invented as a solution to horse manure on the streets that would be A, high heels. Okay. High heels was invented. I failed for again. That. I, I, I was I, thinking stilts, but then I'm thinking that's a lot of manure. <laughs> but I don't, I don't have really a way to gauge how much manure we're yeah. talking about here. But I guess high heels will, will do it. As long as you didn't choose automobile, you're all right. Fine. Okay. How about you, Elaine? What did you get? I, 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 got, I got it, actually. Wow. Elaine in the Twice. lead. Yes. I know. I, I'm making a, mer- a Merwin out of myself. No. <laughs> Well, there are only two people here, so you have a 50-50 chance of winning. Okay, these items these items were originally called gems when they were patented in 1904. The answer is B, paper clips. Yeah, paper clips. I was going with the candy there. Gems. Yeah, yeah, me too. I went with the candy. So I'm 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 heading the other 50% of my answer. Gems. <laughs> That's okay. You're still in the lead. Last question. This item was patented independently by two men on the exact same day and year, and they didn't know each other, I should mention. It was in March of 1845. The answer is C, rubber bands. Okay. Rubber bands. I'm, Anybody on, the, get I'm on the board. Yes, I got that. Did you get it, Elaine? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, okay, well, Elaine is the winner of that round. Yay! How do you feel, I'd Elaine? Like to dedicate, I'd <laughs> like to dedicate my victory to uh, Merwin. <laughs> Elaine Trudell, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we've got you talking a little bit, Elaine, let's, let's talk some more about your uh, piece for piano and orchestra. Uh, let's talk about that title, because you said alter, but if you look at it in yeah. print, it's A-L-T-E-R, and then there's in parentheses the letter E. I mean, what what is the idea behind the the title of this work? Well, you know, there's inspiration behind the work, and there's also the fact that when you do a work, it's you try to find a title that represents what it is. But that's also not, uh, I would say, not too long. But in our Rachmaninoff concert, the concert, the title piece was so long, but everybody remembered because it was such a good piece. So hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay, so that's how much for that. But um, I think for me. Uh, and some people might relate to that, is that very often you you have a perception of something. And uh, in the life that we live in, I mean, I'm very astounded by the life that we live in in the last, last decade or the last five years, something like that. All things are altered, you know? Like when you talk to one person, talk to another person. And when you watch the news, when you... Everything is altered. The reality is I, sometimes you feel like, is this normal? I mean... It's like everybody has their own truth. Everybody has their, and and it's uh, it's really interesting. Not not to say that you know one is right, one is wrong. I mean, it's just that it's very bizarre. Like you know, now we have a, a choice, and it can be you can take reality and you can go beyond. You know, because alter is like in French it's altéré, right? So it has the e. That's why there's the e with the parenthesis. But at the same time, the root of it is like you know, it's beyond. To, well, to change from beyond from what's there to start with, you know. So it's, uh, I think it's, for me, it was important. And also, it was reflective of material I had from some time ago that I put together and that I kept uh, changing and going through the mill in different ways. And at the end, it completely disintegrates. Mm. 
Mm. And uh, it's done an, an explosion, unfortunately. I left that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that that's why it's called Alton. Yeah. Now let's hear about this the pianist because you did mention you know he's world class pianist, a Chopin mm-hmm. specialist, Charles Richard Amelin, and, and you've worked with him in the past, have you not? I worked with him in the past a few times, and he's he's come to Toledo. Uh, uh, just a year before COVID, he played Beethoven's third piano concerto oh, with us, right. mm. uh, and uh, and uh, of course everybody thought it was wonderful. He is he is very a special talent. He's uh, one of those generational talent, but he's he's like also you would never know that he's an international concert pianist when you talk to him. He's just so nice, down to earth, and also very. Uh, He's very much invested in, in the art of playing the piano. He's not uh, invested on being a star on social media or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with it. If that's what, what somebody wants, that's fine, too. But, I mean, for him, he's like a true... It's, it's like he's from another era, you know? And I like that because uh, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm from another era. So mm-hmm. I, it just feels like, wow, he's a real craftsman. And uh, I was I felt, I felt super honored that... He said, I really like it. I want to play it. I think yeah. he played. And when I told him no, and he gets the premiere, he was like, oh, great. So uh, anyway, so we've been on the phone a lot because it's a little difficult. <laughs> and and uh, for him, he said, okay, can we? Um, so we're. Uh, I'm making a kind of a tailor-made for him. But uh, at the same time, he didn't ask me to change any notes yet. So that's fine. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, yeah. No, it's more like, uh, you know, phrasing and sometimes a little speed you know because you have an idea of a speed of something that you want and i you know i play the piano so badly that i I cannot imagine no no really 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 bad i I can comp you know on a jazz thing but i I can't like play like something that has two hands that uh, has anything that's a little complicated so it's a it's not my instrument but i like the piano very much i've always used the piano and not so much for composing but like i said in jazz playing and jazz uh, accompanying also. So the, I have a sense, for me, piano is more related to harmony and percussion. It's less, uh, and it's funny because he's a super lyrical player, so, and and that's that's a great mix, you know, because the piece is, you know, he will come in, you, you will hear the beginning of it, so I'll say, okay, this is something a little, not romantic, but, you know, emotional, uh, and then already it starts to be blown apart, and then little bits of this and bits of that are coming together, to form the second theme of what is going to be in the piece. And then we go to the second moment. They're all related by little cadenzas. And uh, I think that's something he really liked, you know, because you have little cadenzas in each movement instead of just this one big one, you know, with a six-four chord and then you're done kind of thing. So he's, uh, now I enjoyed that. And the uh, second moment is more like, a, I, I really like uh, Balinese music. I really like mm. Middle Eastern uh, harm, like melodies. And uh, I really like uh, like Messia Harmony. And Claude Vivier is probably my favorite composer. So uh, all of this together inside of me, you know, you're always uh, not affected, but you're always influenced by well, what you what you revere, you know, like uh, the the great masters. So uh, somewhere in there, you know, there's something that comes out. And when I played it for him, he said, "Oh yeah, this sounds very much like a kind of Middle Eastern kind of melody a little bit." So yeah, I said, "I'm really drawn to those." And a lot of music that I write has, has that, and, and so that it's like a little bit of that mixed with a uh, you know messiah camping under it. <laughs> kind of a, it's fun, and then you go into the third moon, which is you like that also because it is a, a big feature because it's kind of a scherzando, 
So it's kind of joyful music, something that's a bit more witty. A lot of the solos are playing. And at the end, for me, it's, of course, my favorite part because that's just about textures. There's about, you know, 25 lines going at the same time, but you, you wouldn't know. You just hear like yeah. a percussion, you know, the notes of the piano. Again, I say, for me, piano is really more of a percussion instrument. I don't want to be uh, scandalous, but it is in the percussion family. But, um, and, and he shares and he, he not, not shares, but he trades with the, the glockenspiel, the marimba of the orchestra, a little bit with the, with the horn also. So you, all of these sounds go together and sometimes you very high register of the piano with the very high register of the clavier instruments and the percussion it makes something special and you feel it goes away and it, uh, it ends, uh, it starts with a horn call, the piece, and it ends with kind of the, the, the answer to that call, but just by, with, the, with one violin and the piano. Yeah. I mean, it all sounds fascinating. Both of these pieces sound like they are a contrast to each other, but they also have these great stories and thought processes behind them. And, you know, folks who listen to this podcast are going to have a leg up when they go to the concert. They have an idea of what it's about and what it took to bring this stuff to the stage. Now, both of you, Elaine and Chris, you, you seem to have, you know, some freedom when it comes to your composing. Um, I, I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where somebody has come to you and told you what they want, what they want the theme to be, how long they want it to be. I mean, sometimes people, you know, they, they write out this check and they say, I want exactly this, right? And you have to accommodate the other person instead of following your own intuition. Chris, you're shaking your head yes. Yeah, I did a project when I was a student in New York um, with a, an, an, an acting company, a, a small theater company. And um, they they wanted music, uh, incidental music for the play, but they also wanted some music in in the play that aligned the timing-wise with certain things that were happening in the play. Uh, so it wasn't just sort of uh, set change music. It's like a soundtrack kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I composed some music for that and showed up with it and had the musicians and played it and there some eyebrows went up and uh, <laughs> there were like too many explosions discussion yes yeah, so this is not about explosions you know <laughs> uh, so no it wasn't necessarily that but um, we we do have to change certainly some timing things and I, it was a good education for me to, to sort of you know paint within the lines yeah. know, drawn by somebody else and realize that your that music of course as as we write it for symphony orchestra in this case it's it's the the central component of the art that's being presented yeah but of course and perhaps mostly it's combined with something else visual or you know on stage or on screen or something like that it's augmenting the experience so putting yourself in that perspective is, is very useful as a composer but i it wasn't my favorite uh, yeah experience experience yeah you have a lot of students, and, and you brought some student composers here last time you were on the show. I mean, do you tell your students, just be prepared for anything? I mean, is that sort of part of the preparation to be a, a composer in this day and age? Yeah, I mean, when you learn to compose, you usually begin by mimicking something. Mm. Um, you know, almost like a baby learns to speak. Yeah. Um, you, you write like other composers out of admiration for them or just because you want to figure out what's what's in there, um, and you take on those stylistic qualities and learn learn the techniques that way, um, and and we structure the pedagogy of teaching composition that way. You know, write in this style, write in that style, 
learn this harmony, learn that rhythmic technique, learn messian, you know, modes so of limited transposition. Like get Lennis together your about. toolbox, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's sort of baked into becoming a composer. But um, but then hopefully somebody can look at those different um, components, uh, put them together in a way that serves their own imagination. Yeah. Elaine, have you done any teaching as far as composing goes? No, no, not now. But I, but I've done a lot of commissions. Oh uh, yeah. I, well, I, you've created. Oh, yeah. You've been responsible for creation of, of many works. No, 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 no. I, I, I've been because you were asking Chris. You know the music that you paid to write the specific. I've done a lot of that. Yeah, but have you ever told <laughs> another composer that you want specific things? You want it to be oh, yeah, so yeah. long and yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, you know. Like, for example, if you tell somebody, write something about Toledo, they're going to wind up writing something about the universe, you know, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, I wonder who you're talking about. I can't possibly imagine. Um, Some composers uh, are better behaved than others. Yeah. I think you can end it with that, just just right there. <laughs> now, you know, somebody like Stravinsky, who wrote such incredible uh, original music, uh, composed at the piano, like that was his instrument for writing stuff. You know, somebody like Wagner was famous for being a terrible pianist, but he would try to play through his scores for people, and they'd think, wow, that sounds terrible. But <laughs> it, it was his lack of skill. Um, I, I'm wondering how you guys compose. I mean, do you compose at the piano? Elaine, you were writing for piano and orchestra. Do you sort of like plunk things out as you're going along? Yeah, I well, personally, I write. Uh, I don't write at the piano. Well, first of all, I can't play the piano. But I I, I write uh, a la table at the table, as as we say. Uh, I think some of it comes from uh, having a good sense of harmony or, or just conservatory training where you, you do so much musical dictation that you, uh, you, um, you, you wind up digesting so much, so much piece of harmony that you have to write, you know, like some people say, they lift it from the album while we have to write from uh, three voices, four voices, sometimes more, and then the chorus and all that. So, at the end of the day, it's just your your mind becomes like a, a little, you know, piano instrument. Where you, and when I have the chords, I hear them. But that's everybody's different, you know, because there's mm-hmm. the composers that uh, they like at the piano. Some others play at the guitar. Some others just at the table like that. Well, I know Chris used to like to sit in that that white chair you have in your <laughs> basement or wherever it is. But what's your what's your habit for writing? I tend to start actually at the piano. I spend a lot of time at the piano at the beginning of the process. Uh, sort of a discovery or action reaction sort mm-hmm. of experience. It's it's. I'm not a pianist. I mean, I I can play the piano reasonably well, but in my own with my own technique and my own style, and everything is in super slow mo, right? <laughs> so or or it's on repeat because I want to hear the thing yeah. over and over and over again, and I want to I want that to evoke something else in my memory or. Uh, almost sort of go into composing trance, you know, and let 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 yourself kind of relax into uh, a working state for your mind. Yeah, um, that's so interesting. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up because we're getting close, but I do have another part of this quiz mm. if uh, you all are game for it. Again, this is the origin story, and I'm going to bring in um, your happy-go-lucky music here. Oh, that's very nice. Chris, we'll, we'll put that underneath, the YouTube music, mm-hmm. Okay. 
Four questions. First one is this. These items take their name from France. Oh, so Elaine's probably going to get it. Is it A, denim jeans, B, loafers, or C, Panama hats? A, B, or C. They take their name from France. These were originally built to punish prisoners. Is it treadmills? That's A. Is it trampolines? That's B. Or is it ball pits? That's C. I almost said Brad Pitt for some reason. <laughs> it was, okay. Third question. This popular sport got its start in church as a way to cleanse one's sin. Was it badminton? That's A. Was it soccer? That's B. Or was it bowling? That's C. And final question is this. This everyday technology was originally meant to detect black holes. It, you should get this, Chris. You're into that, all that spacey stuff. Mm-hmm. Is it A, Wi-Fi? Is it B, artificial intelligence? Or C, edge computing? I don't even know what that is. But, uh, okay, four questions. We'll go back to the beginning. Everybody got an answer? Okay. These items take their name from France. That would be A, denim jeans. Do you know why, Elaine? No, no but I know it's denim. Uh, I, I knew it was the answer, but... I don't know why. Because they were made in Nimes or Neem. Ah. De Neem. De Neem. Yeah. Interesting. From Neem, De Neem. Okay, I get it. Oh, good. I love that I'm teaching you French. <laughs> yeah. Plus one for Brad. Yeah. I think I won the quiz already. Okay. So these were originally built to punish prisoners. The answer is A, treadmills. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you know, the the treadmills were a little different. They were like hamster wheels, more or less, were, <laughs> right? And, and they were used to generate power uh, from the inmates, Ooh. so they would walk the, the treadmill. Number three, this popular sport got its start in church as a way to cleanse one's sin. That would be bowling. When you knock down all the pins, it's like you're knocking down all the sinners, right? <laughs> and you get forgiveness. I mean, there are all kinds of crazy things here. Has anybody gotten anything right so far? Um, no, no, I think so. No, no. Maybe I no. got the first and the third. The first and the third, okay. The, yeah, yeah, I got A and the bowling is because my daughter was talking to me and I, I didn't understand the question, so I just put a letter in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Lucky, lucky yeah. guess. A for Elaine. Okay, <laughs> last question. This everyday technology was originally meant to detect black holes. That would be A, Wi-Fi. Anybody yeah. get that? Yeah. Radio, Chris, you got radio, it? Well, radio waves, yeah. Yeah. Elaine, did you get I that did. one? I did not. Okay, well, Elaine still won. Yay! That's amazing, Elaine. You have bragging rights now for winning have, two quizzes. I, as a, as, a comp, uh, as we are talking about composing, I applied the Lutuslavsky technique. Is that <laughs> it's chance and azar inside of creation. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> well put. Well, the concert is happening on Friday. It's June 3rd, 8 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris Style. The title of the program is America and the Key of Gershwin, and we'll hear the Catfish Rose Suite from George Gershwin's opera Porgy and Bess. Also a symphonic overture on America the Beautiful by Wang Ji, and the two works we've been talking about today, composer Christopher Dietz and Origin Story. This is the premiere, right, Correct. for both of these works. And we'll also hear Elaine Trudell's work for piano and orchestra entitled Alter. It's a wonderful, varied program. You can find more information at ToledoSymphony.com. 
You can also call the box office if you want to attend. That is at 419-246-8000. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of our program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Don't forget to check out all the events at the Symphony by visiting their website at toledosymphony.com and the various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanking Elaine Trudell as well as Christopher Dietz, two composers, also the music director of the Toledo Symphony, and a faculty member down at Bowling Green State University. I want to thank you for making the trip up here, Chris. And for Elaine, making the trip by phone and talking to us all about this wonderful concert. Thank you, Brad. I'm Brad Cresswell. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 81.